Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy hump day. Happy Wednesday. Happy day before Thursday. Uh, Uncle Jimmy uh, asked me to pass along uh, that he's doing well. I think he's going to visit us by Skype uh, next week. Uh, He's doing well. He's on his road to recovery. uh, And hopefully uh, we'll hear from him next week via Skype. Uh, he was in a good mood today, cracking jokes. It's hard for him to laugh a little bit because, you know, the, the medical procedure and the, the stitches he's got. But uh, Uncle Jimmy's doing well. Keep him in your thoughts and prayers. We appreciate it. Uh, but as always, I got a great show planned for us today. An awesome show. Uh, it is Wednesday, so you know what that means. That's Harmony Wednesday. <clears throat> and in the second half of the show, uh, Pastor Anthony Walker, Pastor Bobby Harrington, both the members of Renew.org, they will be here and we will talk about forgiveness and we'll relate it to John Gruden and, you know, what, how should we handle when people apologize, make mistakes, and should we be a more forgiving culture? It's my contention that we live in this cancel culture uh, era and we've removed forgiveness uh, from the culture. And that's why we have a very secular culture, a very demonic culture. But anyway, we'll get into that with the pastors. I'll let the experts, uh, Bobby and Anthony, uh, delve into that. Uh, Today, uh, we'll roll out to Ohio and Leonidas Johnson will join me, uh, as will uh, we'll roll out to North Carolina and be joined by Shamika Michelle. Shamoke Show will be here and they'll be here to talk about uh, this fire, this blaze that I'm about to set uh, right now, I'm fired up today. This might be my favorite fire starter. And so I hope everyone out there in uh, fearless land has on their fire retardant uh, keyboards or cell phones or clothes or whatever. You got fire extinguishers ready because I'm about to light the world on fire. I'm about to light the internet on fire. I'm going to light the light, uh, Blaze TV on fire. I'm about to encapsulate everything that we've been talking about this week, everything that's been dominating the news uh, the past two weeks, basically. I'm about to encapsulate all of it with this fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. Be- hold on. Before. Hey, do me a favor, guys. Uh, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends to come join us. Tell them to put on, you know, call the fire department and and come join us uh, because I'm about to start this fire. But uh, YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock and hit the like button, hit the subscribe. This fire 
deserves 10,000 likes. I'm setting a high bar. I want 10,000 likes for this fire starter and this show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Men are coming out of the closet. Black men. NBA star Kyrie Irving. Comedic superstar Dave Chappelle. Former NBA player turned YouTuber Kwame Brown. Black men are escaping the cages that the matriarchy, the LGBTQ movement, and liberal orthodoxy constructed to tame, house, and emasculate us over the last six decades. You guys remember back in July, I wrote a column, I did a fire starter that touched on the 1965 Moynihan Report, the Negro family, the case for national action. Daniel Patrick Moynihan worked in President Johnson's administration. The Moynihan Report argued that America needed to fortify the black family by investing in the black man. President Johnson initially supported the Moynihan Report. He pulled his support when leftist activists and the mainstream media frame Moynihan's research and solution as racist. The smearing of Moynihan and his report allowed President Johnson to pivot to his Great Society initiative, which funneled money toward women and non-traditional single-parent families. The full-scale emasculation of American men began with the rejection of the Moynihan Report. Black men were on the front lines. We were the first casualties, the initial conquest, the original men forced to apologize for the sin of maleness and masculine values. We were taught to closet our true nature, accept roles subservient to black women, and remake the church into an institution that serves the matriarchy and the politics of Democrats. The mission accomplished flag, that's been flying atop black men for a solid 40 years. We've been castrated and emasculated. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are in the process of raising that same mission accomplished flag over white men. Men, traditional ones with biblical values, have been made to feel ashamed of their beliefs, their nature, and the responsibilities God prescribed for them in the gospel. We're trapped in the closet. When we're out in public spaces, we adhere to the principles and sensibilities prescribed by the Church of Silicon Valley and Big Tech. Twitter, Facebook, Google, Instagram, YouTube, etc. They disciple us and dictate our behavior. That's why I'm so happy and inspired that Kyrie Irving, Dave Chappelle, and Kwame Brown have come out of the closet as real men. I'm hoping it's a trend. I'm hoping it will give other men the courage to come out of the closet as men. Irving is risking nearly $200 million with his decision to fight the NBA's vaccine policies. The Nets have banned him from their facilities until he takes the jab. Irving's non-compliance could be the most courageous form of athletic civil disobedience since Muhammad Ali refused induction into the United States military. It's not just the financial risks 
Irving is taking. Like Ali, he's defying the establishment. He's disobeying the ruling government doctrine. He's taking an unpopular position and inviting mainstream media ridicule. Irving is standing against medical tyranny and standing for American freedom. Unlike LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick and the other China beholden American influencers, Irving isn't crowdsourcing his actions through Twitter's rigged algorithms. The same goes for Dave Chappelle. His latest Netflix comedy special, The Closer, shredded the feminist and LGBTQ movements. When the instruments used to cage and emasculate men attacked Chappelle for his routine, Dave Chappelle didn't back down. He called them out by name. He said, and I'm quoting, F Twitter, F NBC News, ABC News, all these stupid ass networks, I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to you. This is real life. That's what Chappelle told an audience in Los Angeles. <laughs> Chappelle's courage is infectious. He's allowing men, comedians in particular, to come out of the closet. Comedic legend Damon Wayans told TMZ this, quote, I feel like Dave freed the slaves, the comedians. We were slaves to PC culture, and as artists, he's Vincent Van Gogh. He's he cut off his ear, and he's trying to tell us it's okay. It's okay to be a man a heterosexual one, a Christian man, a religious man, a masculine man. It's okay to see yourself as a provider, a protector, a leader, a conqueror. Don't feel any pressure to tap into your feminine side, to believe men can get pregnant or there's virtue in wearing a dress. Do you, they're doing them. Why don't you man up and do you? That's what Kwame Brown has been doing in 2021. Brown, the former number one draft pick, unleashed his masculine energy on podcasters and former NBA players Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. Brown, tired of being ridiculed publicly as a bust and challenged his critics on his YouTube platform. Brown was raw and profane and occasionally menacing but he attracted a large audience because he was authentic. He's a good old boy from the South who delivers a message of self-responsibility and a traditional role for men. He's not homophobic. He's just not gonna apologize for being a traditional man. He's not trying to display his emotional side. Emotion undermines logic and masculinity. That's why I was so disappointed to see Randy Moss on national television crying about an email that included a derogatory comment about the size of DeMarie Smith's enormous lips. Moss has no idea that he's playing an emasculated role designed for black men 60 years ago. He swallowed the entire BLM, LGBTQ, CRT, alphabet mafia narrative arc that the black man is incapable of being the man God designed. I reject that and all who believe it. 
60 years ago, the founders of the Alphabet Mafia removed the black man from his family, which did unprecedented damage to the black boy and established a black culture dominated by women and ruled by emotion. The white man and his family are next on the chopping block. The process has already begun. The only solution is for men to come out of the closet and join Kyrie, Chappelle, and Kwame and join this fearless army that we've started right here. If you're not willing to come out of the closet and be a man, I really don't want you watching this show. I don't want your support. You ain't man enough for this. This ain't for little boys. This ain't for little feminized men that want to get on TV and cry because someone wrote an email that they didn't like. It sounds like I'm just trampling all over Randy Moss and I don't like Randy. I don't have a problem with Randy Moss. I really don't. But damn it, I'm not going to sit silent while somebody goes on TV and makes a fool out of men and particularly black men. We ain't that soft. And those of you that are that soft, that some man writing an email to some other man talking about Demora Smith's big lips, if that makes you cry, this party ain't for you. This show ain't for you. You ain't fearless. You trapped in a closet that I got no interest in coming in. So, <clears throat> and that pun, that double untie was not intended. So anyway, if you caught it, that wasn't intentional. Anyway, <laughs> we're gonna roll out to Ohio <laughs> and bring in Leonidas Johnson. Uh, Leonidas, I'm gonna start here and ask you, uh, are you inspired by Kyrie Irving and Dave Chappelle and Kwame Brown? It's, it is inspiring because, you know, our culture, and we've talked about this so many times, our culture just in general celebrates weakness, Jason. Like, we have this whole idea that victimhood is a virtue. And if you come out and you have this public display of weakness, oh, I'm going to cry on TV uh, because somebody said something mean 10 years ago. Or this guy came out with a comedy special and he said something mean about my identity group. So now I'm having trauma. I'm traumatized now. These things in our society are considered virtues and everybody rallies around them and they lift these people up and they say, yeah, this is what we want. This is what we want as America. And it's just completely backwards. But uh, you look back to the Bible definition of, of masculinity and manhood. And one of the words that repeat often is strong, strength. It's all about being strong, being strong both in body and in mind. So it's the opposite. We're, we've gone so far away from biblical principles, it's not even funny. But I am inspired by the fact that they are pushing back and that they're, uh, they are standing and they're being courageous and they're being strong in their beliefs. And I, I appreciate that 100%. Even if I don't agree with all of the beliefs or all of the opinions that, that, that they have specifically, but I do appreciate that they're standing up and, and pushing back and you know, standing for what they believe to be true. Leonidas, I, I was, came to this realization 
just this week in talking about Randy Moss and what's went on with John Gruden, the realization that you and I and people that think like me, we're the ones being pushed into the closet and being forced to act in public spaces like we're ashamed of who we are and what we believe. We've been pushed into a silence and I, I look across and see men everywhere that wanna DM or text you privately, hey man, really like what you're doing or I agree with you, but they're all afraid to express it publicly. And I'm like, well damn, this whole thing has reversed the heterosexual man with any kind of biblical principles, values, core beliefs, he has to conceal who he is to survive in this current modern society. And have I missed something here? I really honestly feel like we're being pushed into the closet. Well, I mean, that, that derives from feminism. That derives from this, uh, this idea that any expression of masculinity, any expression of strength or, or uh, you know, men, the men taking the, the forefront role as a leader is somehow oppressive, as somehow some kind of form of patriarchal oppression. So they conflate the toxic aspects of masculinity, which just would just be, I would say, violence for violence sake, or uh, yeah, this sort of selfishness or, or not protecting the vulnerable. Uh, these kind of things, they conflate with the, the healthy forms of masculinity, which we so desperately need in our society. We need men to head up the family and to be personally responsible and to protect the vulnerable and to raise kids as godly men and to be there for their communities and to be there for society. And we need men to take those roles of courage and strength. But, uh, you know, feminism, I should say radical feminism, not which feminism is not what it should be, what it was supposed to be when it was first founded, but radical feminism and what it's turned into is this anti- anti-masculine, anti-man-hating -man sort of thing where, uh, and we talked about this last episode, where it's almost like, you know, this the idea that women and men are the same or that women need to be elevated above men. And it's very, uh, and so we see men being feminized and we seeing masculine traits being demonized. So I think you're absolutely right. It's just this conflation of toxicity with what the healthy masculinity should be. Kyrie Irving, I, I analogized yesterday and again today uh, to Muhammad Ali. And because mm. I think what he's doing is very courageous. I think there's so much pressure on celebrities and athletes, professional athletes, to be at the forefront of everybody taking the vaccine and, and take the jab. And, and, and so I. I it's similar to the pressure I felt like athletes or, or public figures were under during the Vietnam War and to go along with the draft. And, and there's great risk for what Kyrie's doing. He could lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Am I wrong for equating Kyrie potentially? I mean, because it's early. And Muhammad Ali lost his ability to fight for three years. You know, Kyrie's a day or two into his fight. But am I wrong for potentially analogizing Kyrie to Muhammad Ali.
I think it's in the same ballpark. I, th- I, I think anybody that stands up against uh, something that they that's something that's unpopular, something that taking an unpopular position and standing up against something that they feel to be oppressive and making that kind of sacrifice. I mean, he's clearly making a sacrifice. The, he's taking the he's taking the hard road here while everybody else in the NBA, I think, what, 98 percent is vaccinated, something like that. Uh, so most of the rest of the NBA is taking the easy way out. They've taken the easy road. Whereas Kyrie, he is standing up for something he believes and he's taking the hits for it. Now, I've I've said this about uh, just people in general, that if you are against the mandates, you have to understand that it's going to cost you something. And that's just authoritarianism in general. If, if there's some kind of tyranny happening and you want to push against it, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to sacrifice. We hear all these stories about people losing their jobs and people being attacked and people uh, you know, being harassed for it or whatever. And they feel like uh, that they don't want to deal with that or something like their kids being pulled out of sports or something like that. And they're they're worried about, uh, understandably worried about those negative effects for pushing back against the authoritarianism. Uh, but what people have to understand is that if you are going to stand up for something uh, that's unpopular and that has that sort of government backing to it, then you have to be willing to take those hits. So I have all the respect in the world for Kyrie. Like I said, I don't agree with everything that he that he supports or everything that he says, but th- this issue in particular, for him to have the courage to stand up and to be willing to take those hits and uh, to make those kind of sacrifices, yeah, I, 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 I don't mind the Muhammad Ali reference or the analogy. I'm gonna read something from uh, Sham Sharnia in an article in The Athletic. It's about Kyrie's motivation. Some people are, are mocking him and his motivations, but I, I wanna read this quote from an athletic story. Multiple sources with direct knowledge of Irving's decision have told The Athletic that Irving is not anti-vaccine and that his stance is that he is upset that people are losing their jobs due to vaccine mandates. It's a stance that Irving has explained to close teammates. To him, this is about a grander fight than the one on the court and Irving is challenging a perceived control of society and people's livelihood, according to sources with knowledge of Irving's mindset. It is a decision that he believes in and he is capable to make given his current life dynamics. Kyrie wants to be a voice for the voiceless, one source said. And this is why I just think he's so important and what he's doing is so important is the athletes and the people from the Southwest Airlines employees to the people in the military to uh, government, federal government employees that are all getting this vaccine thing jammed down their throats. Someone has to stand up for them. Someone has to be a symbol and a voice for them it's certainly not going to be the mainstream corporate media because they're now all in bed with the government and and they're all in bed with the power and the establishment and so Kyrie Irving is taking it on and I say hats off to him I, I really wish that other athletes had the balls to join him I wish that someone like and I said this yesterday Tom Brady would join him Tom Brady's 
43, 44 years old, has won seven Super Bowls. He's at the, you know, he's accomplished everything you can accomplish as an athlete. There's no more he can really add to his athletic resume. I wish he'd step out here and and stand up for the rest of society and country that believes in American freedom. And it's really not about being anti-vax. I've said it repeatedly. I'm not anti-vax. The vaccine is actually for fat 50-year-old people. Uh, But it's not for these young people that they're forcing it down their throats. These kids, they're forcing it on them. These parents, they're forcing it on their kids and the parents can't object. Kyrie Irving can believe the earth is flat. He can say a lot of things that I may disagree with and think are stupid. But on this, he's a thousand percent right. He's a thousand percent courageous. And some, I'm glad he's man enough to be a voice for the voices because the, the mainstream media, uh, corporate media, and, and LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick, they all want to pretend like they're being a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. They're not. Well, they, they're doing what serves China and Nike. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, they do what's easy, right? They do things that don't cost them anything. Once it starts costing them something, then it's like, whoa, we need we need to back up here. Where did they? I know we said that we were all in this together, but that uh, now it's costing me something. Now it's hitting me in my pocketbook, in my wallet. Now I need to back up. But I mean, you're absolutely right. They, I, I said on Twitter that I wish that the rest of the NBA, whether they're vaccinated or not, should be standing up and supporting Kyrie in this. Uh, and like we've seen the power that people can have with the Southwest Airlines stuff that's been going on. Like we've seen what can happen when the numbers are there. Uh, they, you know, they, they, the establishment relies on isolation. They rely on, on compliance and then they rely on people being isolated, the resistance being isolated. If there's only one or two people pushing back, it's not gonna be as effective as if you, know, you have a whole crowd of people pushing back, standing up. Uh, if everybody in the NBA says we're not playing, if Kyrie's not playing, we're not playing, then <laughs> then it's then, then it's done. That means just so much more power in that. So yeah, and, and across the leagues too, NFL, uh, uh, baseball, MLB. I wish I would see more and more of that because we do absolutely need that. We need, and like I said, it doesn't matter if they're vaccinated or not. People need to recognize what's happening. And it's like you said, it's not that people are against the vaccine. It's that people are against this authoritarian push to try to force people to uh, to do something that they may, may or may not want to do. It's not that we're anti-vax. It's just that this particular vaccine uh, it has a lot of issues with it. it there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, it may not be right for everybody. And we've already seen that there's been a, there was a Hawks player, right? Uh, and I forget his name right now, but he, he had an adverse vaccine reaction and he can't even, he can't play this year. He's out for the season. So I mean, these things are happening. And uh, to, so to force it on somebody and then, you know, something would happen to them. I mean, it's just, it's unethical and it's immoral. So I, I do wish that more and more people would stand up and push back against this stuff. Leonidas, I'm going to let you go. We'll end on this note or this final comment and, uh, about this. When, when Muhammad Ali stood against the draft, uh, the military draft, Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, a bunch of other prominent black athletes 
supported him publicly, held a press conference, spoke for uh, uh, Muhammad Ali and, and rallied around him. And, and, and again, I, I love these media people that love to pretend that LeBron James is out here and he's so courageous and oh, what an activist he is. And, and what he really is is an actor this. Yeah. And if I would, Kyrie Irving is a guy that he played, won a championship with in Cleveland, uh, someone he knows, he's a peer and a colleague. Man up, LeBron. Do what Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and a bunch of other guys did in the 1960s. They rallied and showed support for Muhammad Ali, even though if drafted, they may have made a different decision than Muhammad Ali. They supported his right to do so. They weren't all nation, they, they, I don't think any of them were Nation of Islam members other than Muhammad Ali. Mm. They just believed in his right to do what he believed in and what a lot of people believed in, but you, you won't see any of these athletes rallying around them. It would cost too much money. They're all scared, and they've all been emasculated. It's been a 60-year yeah. process, and that's why someone like Randy Moss is sitting on TV uh, whining and crying in front of a bunch of white folks because someone wrote an email he didn't like. Well, okay. listen, I, anyway, that, yep. go ahead. Final yeah. comment, well, I'll just, let you go. Just, just, just one more piece. I, freedom is... Uh, you know, people doing things that you don't agree with. And that's really the bottom line. So like if, if it's freedoms, just people doing things that you always agree with and it's not, it, it's not freedom. So even if you don't agree with what's going on, you need to stand up for it. And I hope more people do that. Thank you, Leonidas. Uh, I want to tell you guys yeah. about our friends from Bonner Private Wines. Uh, they've traveled the world to bring us all the best possible wine. Their worldwide journey led them down to Argentina there that they found the best Malbec grapes grown at the highest altitudes. And unlike those other wine clubs, they don't just sell you overpriced bulk wines that are disguised with nice labels on them. Instead, what you receive are select options from their small batch wines that are made and crafted by real winemakers, people that have a great passion and love for the products that they create. And when, and when you enjoy one of their wines responsibly, you will have an experience that is fully, truly fascinating, and you'll come back for more. Visit bonnerprivatewines.com fearless, and you'll get 50% off the wine, and you'll be supporting me and this content that you enjoy. Just visit bonnerprivatewines.com fearless. Support the sponsors that support you and your worldview. BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless. All right, welcome back. Time to get the Shamoke show going. Uh, Shamika Michelle uh, is going to try to keep this fire blazing. You know, we spent... Monday and Tuesday, talking about Randy Moss, John Gruden, and talking about everything from a male perspective. And so I thought, you know, we need to get a female voice in here and get her take, particularly on, you know, Randy Moss and, and just my spanking of Randy Moss, but also just 
real men potentially standing up and pushing back and real men coming out of the closet and not being ashamed of who we are and what our values are. Uh, I wanted to know how all of that sounded uh, to a woman. And so uh, let's go out to uh, Shamika Michelle. Uh, Shamoke Show, uh, you've heard my monologue, you've read my column. Uh, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts? Well, first, Jason, I want to say thank you. I have watched the show the last uh, couple of days and you have been blazing hot. And I want to, you know, appreciate you because I can say whatever, you know, women can say whatever. And of course, I'm going to give my opinion because that's who I am. But it takes a man to correct another man. So I just want to say thank you for standing up and being that leader that we need in the black community across America, period. It's time for men to take a stand. So I want to say thank you for correcting Randy Moss uh, in being a crybaby. You know, uh, I, I appreciate. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that. You know, Randy's upset with me. Randy wants to. Uh, he wants to fight me. He says on on site. He didn't handle my correction very well. But I, I'm really not surprised. Randy's not a deep intellectual thinker. And as I explained in in comments and in videos uh, since that, like I, I'm not surprised. It's like. Because this is what we do as black men. If a white man says something that offends us, we cry. If a black man says something that offends us, we shoot. And, or we want to fight and turn violent, uh, which really says something about how we feel about ourselves. Uh, we have a very low opinion of ourselves. And so I, I'm hoping, you know, I'm not going to back down. I'm hoping that someone close to Randy can, you know, correct him and maybe they'll uh, say what I said in a more polite tone. But I felt like the guy needed to be shaken uh, publicly in a very serious way. I don't know if he would have heard me if I had been more polite. You know, no one's really worried about Randy Moss and you shouldn't be either. If there was a fight, the only sponsor would need to be Kleenex to, to help him with his tears because he's just crying, you know, like a little bitch. So nobody's really worried about him. He can say whatever he wants to say now in hindsight, but you, you cried, you looked weak and it is what it is. And you got corrected by an older masculine man. And that's what needed to happen. And sometimes that's what we need. This is an exhale moment for me because, you know, we, we talk about waiting to exhale. I have been waiting to exhale for men to just stand up and be men. So I'm so excited. You know that part in the movie where uh, Angela Bassett throws the, the clothes in the car and backs the car out of the garage and then she lights her cigarette and then tosses the match and just walks away from the flame. That's how I feel. If feminism was a house, I would be cheering right now. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water. Let the <laughs> burn. I don't know if I can uh, top that, and I'm not going to try because the next segment after you is I'm bringing on uh, my ministers that we bring on on Wednesdays. But I, I got to I, I I I tend to agree with you. The roof is on fire, and we do need to let it burn. 
and and I'm I'm glad I could play a small role in that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, what do you, what's your take on? And and I asked Leonidas this before we had you on. You know, I made the analogy, and I'm just wondering, did does it connect with you when I say that heterosexual men have been pushed into the closet? That we uh, have are ashamed of our values and what we believe in, and and now out in public spaces, we've created a culture and a society and a climate where we have to conceal who we are. We have to live a closeted life, not some other people. Your thoughts, am I, is that analogy bad, wrong, accurate? It's, it's accurate. And I would say, um, our Kelly may be locked up now, sad and broken hearted, but we're about to celebrate straight men coming out the closet. Women are worried. Those who like to be in charge, they're like, we've got to do something before this shit starts. But I was like, shh, bitch, wait a minute. Don't you dare try and stop it. Let these men do what they do. They're coming out the closet. Now we have feminists shaking in their timberlands like oh 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 damn we thought we could replace man black girls like oh no white girls like please stop your bitching for they come together put us back up in the kitchen <laughs> Uncle Jimmy's so jealous right now that he can't, he can't be here to enjoy this and to uh, chime in on that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Shamoksho, I didn't know you could sing. Well, you must have grew up in the choir. I did. <laughs> in the yeah, church choir. I, I can tell. I, yeah, I, I can tell that. Uh, they, didn't allow, they didn't have cussing in your church choir, though, did they? No, they didn't. Just a hail. You know, hell is deep, hell is wide, <laughs> hell ain't got no joy inside. I ain't going to hell. Oh no. <laughs> I don't know if you can top what you've just done in these six or seven minutes. Uh, so I'm going to let you go. Thank you, Jason. Hats Keep on. up the great work. Make men great again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shamika. Uh, that was awesome. Now I can bring in uh, Pastor Bobby and Pastor Harrington. We can get some prayer uh, up in here and uh, get back on course after uh, Shamika. <laughs> I got it. That was hilarious. Uh, Shamika's pretty talented. Shamok Show. She can sing as well. Maybe we can get her to Nashville. She'll be the next big country star. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe and like button. Uh, and when we come back, we'll get some harmony popping up in here. All right, welcome back. Time for some Tennessee harmony. Time for the uh, best part of the show. Uh, where we get some biblical perspective on whatever's going on in the world. And this week, we have something going on in the sports world uh, that 
lends perfectly to a conversation between myself, uh, Pastor Bobby Harrington, Pastor Anthony Walker, uh, my regular contributors here on Tennessee Harmonies on Wednesdays. They're both from Renew.org. Uh, I'm going to get into John Gruden and uh, some things Tony Dungy has had to say, uh, but I do. I want to pause for a moment before we get into our main topic, just because I think the topic I cover today at the beginning of this show about manhood and about masculinity and that uh, I feel and been talking about Kyrie Irving and uh, his stance, the possible risk he's taking, uh, talking about not taking the vaccine and and uh, Dave Chappelle's comedy routine. I don't know if you guys have seen it, maybe you've heard about it, but he went pretty hard at the feminist movement, the LGBT movement, uh, and then Kwame Brown, former NBA player that's really come out here in a very, you know, somewhat immature, but a very masculine way and has built a, a big following and audience. And I'm saying like that traditional men with biblical values and a biblical point of view that in the real world, we're being forced into the closet uh, and while everybody else gets to be proud of their worldview, their lifestyle, and we actually act like their lifestyle grants them some level of virtue or nobility or integrity that we don't possess. Those of us that are Christians, we're the evil people and, and we need to shut up about our values while the other side gets to promote, celebrate, and impose their values on the rest of us. And so I, I was wondering if you guys heard any of our conversation and want to, or read my column and, and want to chime in. Well, I'm going to go first and then you jump in. <clears throat> I'm just so grateful that you care about this and that you're going after it. Because uh, even in the church, uh, the church people aren't, church leaders today, they're, they're, they're not dealing with this uh, the way you are. You're one of the few clear voices from a Christian point of view calling out the need for men to be men. And uh, uh, as I told you before the show started, we, I'd love to talk to you sometime about, let's really get after it. Because men need a real clear vision of what it is to be a godly man. And you're giving examples of these, uh, these athletes and Dave Chappelle, and they have these traits coming out. And boy, if there's a way we could fan that into flame, count me in. I, I'm wondering, and particularly for you, Anthony, I, I, I would love to at some point delve into a deeper conversation because I think a lot of people, particularly black people, don't know anything about the Moynihan Report mm -hmm. and the role that it played in American society. In, in 1965 or 1960s, coming out of all the progress that Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Organization uh, created, the opportunities, there was a big debate about, okay, where do we go from here? And Daniel Patrick Moynihan put together a report that said, you know where we go is we invest in the black man because that's an investment in the black family. That got smeared in the media and, and framed in the media as racist. And then we transitioned to the great society and basically let's invest in single parent families and the woman. And now we look up 60 years later and this we have a culture that's 
it can't, I can't reduce the argument to just black people, but it's most acute mm -hmm. within us. We have a culture where the man has been removed from the family and I see masculinity removed from the family and particularly from black boys and we're overly emotional and that <clears throat> to me undermines masculinity and it undermines logic. In addition to undermining, you know, the black man in that whole, you know, dynamic, even looking at things like masculinity itself, if masculinity is deemed toxic, just being masculine, you think about how young black boys come up. Boys in general are aggressive, but if you are deemed kind of, well, I don't know, that looks a little, well, now it's threatening. So even that you know, pushes it back to where now, if we do take a stand for something that we, okay, if we're informed, we've thought about it, we've prayed about it, we've aligned it with God, just that stand looks threatening. And that's what's threatening society. That like, man, this, this guy, you know, he's going against the grain. Uh, he, he's got a perspective that's different. What's wrong? And it's not necessarily wrong, it's okay. Well, let's let's see where this is going. Let's see how this looks. But definitely going back to, um, you know, even now we have to solidify that black man, uh, men in general, but in particular that black man. And so <clears throat> I'm going to ask one more follow up on this and then we'll transition to John Gruden and forgiveness. But I, I, I hear in the mainstream culture there's constant talk, there's TV commercials about, we've set aside money, we're investing in black women, black women, black women, I've seen some commercial where the woman talks about being a black woman business owner, blah, blah, blah. I never hear a discussion about black men and investment in them, and particularly in black boys. And in every category, academically, financially, we keep falling farther and farther and farther behind women, yet no one wants to talk about investing in us and correcting that or leveling the playing field. Where's our equity or equality? Hmm. None of that gets discussed. And how, this has to be intentional. And the one thing, the, the reason I'm writing these columns and talking about it is because I want believers white or black, but particularly white guys, to realize like, hey man, your future is attached to the future of black men. Because just because we're on the front lines doesn't mean you're not next. And that is what's going, I think for the first time, white guys can feel like, oh my God, they're coming for us too. I thought it was just gonna be them. <laughs> and, and, and that's why I'm, we have to come together as men, but screw come together as men. We got to come together as believers and as Christians. Mm -hmm. and, and if we just follow the Bible as men, we'll know exactly what we need to do regardless of color. So that's where I think um, discipleship is a really big thing, a really big issue. And that's where, you know, I can't change mass media personally. I can't. Uh, I don't have that kind of a platform, but I do have the kind of platform to where I can personally mentor, disciple, reach out to young black men, obviously starting at home, but even within my sphere of influence and even with the men that I lead, hey guys, we gotta huddle up. We gotta get these young guys. And if we can change 
our community, well, that community contributes to a bigger situation. So that's where, you know, men across, you know, men of faith across the nation, if we start that movement of, of discipling young, making it all right for men to uh, be masculine, for men to have an outlet for creativity, for men to grow in Christ together and that be popular because popularity now is obviously in music and athletics and, you know, celebrity and things of that nature. But to make discipling others, uh, to make that popular, make that right and make godly living right, mm. it'll change the time. <laughs> you got nothing, Bobby? You talk a mile a minute and now you got nothing to say. I can't get you off the phone. You blow up my text message. Now you're a deaf mute. He's saying amen, I guess. Because <laughs> I totally want to jump into this thing and talk about this. Like, uh, here's, here's something that boggles my mind for believers is, why aren't we saying to, uh, to white churches uh, and people all over, why, why aren't we going into those inner cities, discipling men, planting churches where we call men to be like Christ, to love their wives the way Jesus loved the church, to invest in their kids, stay with their marriages, uh, and just create an alternative culture in there. That, that ought to be the, the and, and the most important people to disciple are going to be the men. As goes the men, I'm, I'm telling you right now, over the long haul, as goes the men, so goes society. going to ask you guys to do that before we're going to transition with a brief prayer that I forgot at the beginning and then we'll transition into forgiveness and John Gruden. Uh, I'll do it. God, thank you so much for this platform. I, I just pray and ask God, use the things that are true, right and good and spread them as far as it would honor you to spread them. And we commit them to you now in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, so John Gruden wrote some emails over the course of about a 10 year period, and uh, they weren't the most polite emails. Uh, some some of the emails could be construed as insulting to some of his targets. He certainly called Roger Goodell and F the F word said that uh, DeMora Smith, the head of the NFLPA, had lips the size of tires, uh, criticized Joe Biden, Barack Obama, the whole nine. Well, when they first came out, it was just about DeMora Smith and Tony Dungy, guy that I respect, consider a friend, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, but more than that, one of the great leaders and representatives of a Christian mindset and a Christian lifestyle. He works on NBC and he, he caused some controversy with his original comments after it was just about DeMarie De Smith. Let's hear what Tony Dungy says that caused a little bit of controversy. Uh, what John Gruden did in that email, definitely insensitive, definitely inappropriate, definitely immature. I thought he attacked the character of, of a man, but he apologized for it. He said it wasn't racially motivated. I have to believe him. And I think this was an incident that was 10 years ago. He apologized. I think we need to accept that apology and move on. So I interpreted that as forgiveness is what Tony basically is talking about. And we have created a society and a culture, cancel culture, 
that's about retribution and vengeance and, and forgiveness. I don't even know if it's an option really, mm-hmm. or it only, it depends on what side of the political aisle you serve on or are perceived to serve on, whether you're offered any kind of forgiveness. Tony has since, just so this conversation's in context, uh, yesterday he tweeted out uh, on Sunday Night Football on NBC, I commented on an email sent by John Gruden. I did not defend it. I said inappropriate, immature attack on a man's character, wrong. I did not attribute it all to racism and said, given a single incident 10 years ago, we should accept his apology and move on. Now more emails have come, more inappropriate, immature, wrongful attacks on the character of people from all walks of life. I don't defend those either, and given the apparent pattern of behavior, the Raiders did the appropriate thing in terminating John Gruden. That being said, if John Gruden shows true, and true is capitalized, remorse, and more importantly, changes his mindset and actions, I would forgive him as Christians That's what the Bible commands us to do because that's what God does for us. I know that's not popular, but it's biblical. Leads me uh, to my question is in terms of, have we created a society that has abandoned forgiveness and, and what I, I don't, other than taking John Gruden at his word, and he has expressed remorse. Uh, I reached out to John Gruden this week and he, to me personally, expressed remorse. Uh, and so I don't know if I can sit around and judge his behaviors moving forward. I'm not, I got my own life to live, everything else to, I, I just, I believe in forgiveness because again, I'm all the sins that John Gruden here has been accused of. I know I've done all of them, every last one of them. And I thank God that I've been forgiven. Where, where have we gone wrong on this forgiveness thing in American culture? You know, I just want to say that like you, I, I think I'm guilty of everything that I've heard that John did. So I just want to you know, we're, we're all equal in that we fall short of living life the way God wants us to. Anthony and I were talking about uh, this because I, I think, um, actually, I just want to give you a chance to jump in because um, there's some substantive issues that, mm-hmm. that you feel like could, mm-hmm. if we get too quickly to forgiveness, could be missed. So jump in. Yeah, so what he says, there's a, a passage that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's not necessarily the words. I think there was a lot of outrage over the words that John Gruden said. It's not the word. It was the heart from whence that word comes that brings forth concern. You know, the guys on the team, uh, the teams that he's coached, guys in the organization, they know, you know, the vulgarity that he uses around them, et cetera. But he made a determinate type of insult, you know, and, and that's where, so, okay, now where did that, where did that come from? And I think a lot of people, uh, at least from those that I know that were offended, were offended not necessarily from the word itself, but from where that came from. Like, where, what is this how you felt? 
And so because of that, uh, there's another passage that we often quote in Psalms uh, where David says uh, that I want to let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to God. So in challenging, you know, John Gruden, I, I hear him when he says, I don't have a racist bone in my body, but the bone is not the issue. Racism is a heart issue. And so if these are some things that you have in your heart, we got to get that heart back aligned with God. I mean, and, and once the other emails came out, you know, they, they showed he's got some issues that are pointed to other things. So to challenge, I'll give one more reference. Uh, King David. We love King David and King David was exalted, lifted up. He's you know one of the greatest kings of all time. David messed up. You know, he cheated with Bathsheba, had her husband killed. He did all of that. His good friend and prophet Nathan comes to him and says, hey, man, you're the man. You did this. David goes, he writes the psalm, created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. That's he felt that contrition in Second Samuel, chapter 12. God tells him through Nathan, your sin has been removed. So you've been forgiven. But as a consequence of that, he said, the sword won't leave your family. He said, other people are going to take your wives and the love child that you guys produced is going to die. David was forgiven, but he faced consequences for his sin. And so sometimes in this context, when we think about the terms forgiven, we often are looking at a blanket sweep of, hey, let's just like, you know, debt forgiveness. We just wipe it all the way. It's good. I can forgive the sin. Now, you know, if the league determines or the organization determines, okay, you need to be terminated for this. All right. That's the consequence of it. But as even as Coach Dungey points out, you have a heart of contrition. You get your heart right with God. Uh, you find remorse. You understand what issue that caused. Hey, forgiveness is at the door for you. So I have a bit of a problem uh, with the whole thing. And I know I'm going to be out of sync with a lot of people on this, but I'm just trying to be really honest with myself. If if you had read all my private emails over the last 10 years, there's probably things in there that I'd be super embarrassed if other people were reading. There, there has to be a place where people uh, get some amount of grace for private conversations that were intended to be private conversations, where we're now just blowing it up everywhere. Because, the, you know, taken in the context of these emails, these things sound bad. But I got to be candid with you. Uh, I just feel like it's a normal sinner stuff. Like, I think we all if we're honest, if somebody were following us around all day long, mm -hmm. there's normal center stuff. And man, if, if that was all going to be made public from each of our lives, uh, we just got to be careful about that. So I, I just want to say that about it because we just don't want to come across as creating these standards and impressions that, that normal human beings don't, don't live into them. And so... I hear you, Bobby, and and probably agree. The the thing I want to ask Anthony about, or ask both of you about, because I think Anthony makes a great point. But but where I, the consequences? How harsh mm -hmm. 
should the consequences be? Mm -hmm. And will those consequences be applied evenly? And so, again, is there a group of people who can say anything? Yeah. And face no consequences. Right. And so, and this ties into what I was talking about at the beginning of the show, and when I'm talking about like, oh man, they put me in the closet. They can go on TV anywhere and say anything about me. Jason Whitlock is the worst human being on the planet. He's a heterosexual X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. He's the ruiner of the planet and the earth and everybody that thinks like him is a POS. <laughs> and, they, and they do, they say, yeah. you can, there's so much stuff, I'm looking at my Twitter page right now, that there's so much stuff that gets said about me and people with my values, mm-hmm. and, and they don't have to couch it in nice, polite ways at all. Mm-hmm. And there's no consequences for them. And so what Bobby's point is like, John Gruden ain't even trying to express this publicly. He's talking amongst him, his friends. And I'm not trying to say that, yeah. that what he said was right. I'm trying to say, in fact, you know, we, we uh, uh, thinking about this conversation, I, I have some very specific things where I think he, he sinned, but I just want to say they're like, we're going to exaggerate his sins, but minimize others. You had a great point, Jason, in one of your columns where you talked about the halftime show for the NFL that they've come out with yeah. and, and, and the lyrics and the people that they're featuring. It's like, come on, give me a break. Like whose standards here? Because you have the, which you, I love the expression, uh, the um, alphabet mafia yeah. establishing the rules. And according to the alphabet mafia, Gruden's in trouble. But if we were to use scripture and say, what does God say about this stuff? Gruden would be in trouble for some things like, like all of us would. But in the eyes of God, what's going to be far more egregious is what's happening at the halftime show. And the people that you're promoting and, and featuring as good you know, entertainment for all of America. Thousand percent agree with that because again, John Gruden sent out a private email for one person or maybe three people, group chat, whatever. Uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop, Eminem, they're making music for millions of people to consume. Mm -hmm. And it's loaded with messages far worse Totally. Than what 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 Gruden expressed, and again, this is where we you, you've just helped buttress my point about consequences. Mm-hmm. It's like what people are saying that the consequences are completely uneven. Eminem on Dr. Dre's last album that came out in 2015, 2016, the dude said, and I'm gonna say exactly what he said, and it's offensive. And, and, you know, they'll beep out probably the last part of it. But this way, even the women that I rape, this is on his album. Oh, and he's getting featured at halftime by the NFL while John Gruden's consequences are for private emails. You're out of the league and you're a pariah and you're, I've seen people call him a scumbag and all this other stuff. But... I've seen the same people. Oh, I can't wait for halftime. And my God, look at the NFL. They're doing the right thing by platforming lyrical pornography on the biggest stage America has to offer. More people will watch that Super Bowl halftime show than anything that gets watched all year. And it just shows that when when we don't look to what God teaches in Scripture, 
and instead we invent the standards ourselves, uh, they're, they're going to be jacked up standards. And so it really boils down to, it, you know, again, behind this whole show is we're rejecting our roots as a country with the Judeo-Christian values upon which it was built. And we're now importing uh, what you call, affectionately call the uh, uh, alphabet mafia's values. Uh, and they're different sets of values. And uh, the consequences are going to be bad. We're not going to be happy with what we see happening. So the, the consequences are, you know, as you're pointing out, there's going to be a subjective standard um, because we're human. Uh, the, the subjective standards vary even within the same entity. Now, like you said, the halftime show people and all of that, you know, they're entertainers. People purchase their music, et cetera. John Gruden is an NFL coach in an organization that has its own set of standards. Um, and, and those sets of standards can be Christ-like, can be noble. We talk about Coach Dungy. You know, to our knowledge, you know, he may have some private email somewhere, but to our knowledge, he was able to lead and uphold some Christian values in an NFL environment. So the thing that, about what happened with Gruden, I don't want to justify any wrongdoing. I don't want the halftime show to justify Gruden's behavior. I don't want Gruden's behavior or private emails or the things that he said in those emails to justify any of it. I want us all to get better. If I'm going to challenge society, John Gruden's a part of society. So I do want society to be better aligned with God's but word. You, and I want Gruden. You would agree, wouldn't you, that private um, communications where a guy's saying stuff that you know, he's violating some of the commands of Jesus, okay? okay? That's different than the hard-hearted person who's doing a halftime show and promoting this kind of uh, moral filth to kids and families, and they're promoting them. The, that kind of hard-heartedness versus a per person's private uh, emails. No profit finding. involved. One group is profiting <laughs> and making money. Yeah. Yeah, John Gruden's not making money off his emails. Yeah. Right. So I just want to go on the record that, that a lot of times people think that all sin is sin. And I just want to say, biblically, that's not true. Persistent, rebellious, hard-hearted sin is way worse than uh, a slip of the tongue that reflects a heart that's judgmental or whatever. Um, but let's... Give me some scripture to back that up. Do, I, I believe you, but... You know, on the on the fact that uh, there's some sins that are worse. Yes, than yeah. Even Jesus says that, right? He says, uh, "Woe to you, uh, Chorazan and Bethsaida! Uh, you'll be punished most severely because of your hard-heartedness." Uh, you have one passage, uh, Hebrews chapter ten, verses twenty-six and twenty-seven, and it says this: "If we deliberately keep on sinning, after receiving the knowledge of the truth." There is only the fearful expectation of judgment. So in the Bible, you have this persistent, ongoing sin is way worse than somebody who stumbles and falls. Without doing a whole theology lesson, I'll just leave it there. So, no, to, to that, I, I would say, again, there may be, as, as he's interpreted, there may be a difference in the type of sin. I'm looking to call them both sin, 
and address them both as sin. Uh, so I, I'm not promoting, uh, you know, by coming at John Gruden, I'm not promoting the halftime show. If, if we would look at the halftime show, hey, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be either. Yeah. And the email shouldn't be either. I, I'm not, you know, comparing contrast. I'm just simply saying in this situation with Gruden, my first leg of that is, okay, Gruden, you know, th those words, that's not pleasing to God in a private context. You know, as we, you know, talk about our faith, God is following me, not just in my public spaces. He's following me in my mind, my thoughts. And Jesus tells us about, uh, you know, adultery. I don't have to go sleep with her to commit adultery. I can sit across the room and look and go all the way through and he feels that same peace. So in my mind and in my heart, I don't have an issue with Coach Gruden having a problem with DeMora Smith. If, if we just go at the very first leg, how everything happened, I don't have a problem with that. You got a problem with his leadership style. You have a problem with his management style and his reputation. Cool. And you can voice that. The email that he sent, it gives an indicator as to, okay, now you, you're typing every one of these letters. You're choosing that language. You're choosing that particular insult. I could tell somebody, man, I don't like your style. I don't like you this. I don't like you that. I don't even have to insult you. And that's what Coach Dungy was saying. He's attacking the man's character. He's insulting his appearance. What does that have to do with any of this? And we go to find out, you know, he's got all of these issues. I'm, you know, if you have a disagreement with him, cool. But that first leg, okay, Gruden, we got to deal with this heart issue. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not even on the side of, hey, a person should be canceled. I've got a whole leg on cancel culture as well. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't know if you wanted to follow up on anything he was just I saying. I do. I want him to talk about <laughs> oh, sure. your take on cancel culture. So cancel culture, on, on the one side, okay, you've got Gruden. On cancel culture, that's where we deal with grace. Going back to your comment about, you know, where's the standard and how we do consequence. The way that we biblically apply grace is first by recognizing our own need for it. So when we come to somebody and say, man, you know, should we forget? OK, well, first off, I look at my closet and I say, man, not only do I have skeletons, I may have a couple of bodies in there. Like I need so much grace and forgiveness. So when I come to it, I don't want to set up a society to where when somebody messes up, hey, that's it. Because that's what cancel culture is. Cancel culture is not just you face a consequence for your actions. It's we don't want to hear anything from you ever again. Now, that's not biblical. OK, but even as we looked with David. Yeah. What was the mercy in that? David, his his family's going to have violence in it. Other guys are going to take his wives. His love child's going to die. Like, where's the mercy in that? David, you remain king. David, you've got, you know, you still have influence. You still have my presence. So sometimes our consequence may have, okay, yeah, you may not be in this position or because you didn't meet company standards X, Y, Z, but with contrition, with uh, retribution, with a change of heart, hey, if somebody else wants to go out there and hire John Gruden, I don't think that this should be the end of his life. In the same way for any of us, if, if I have, if I was a thief, I'm probably going to have a hard time getting a job at a bank, okay, because of that particular mess up. But I shouldn't be canceled from getting any work anywhere ever. And, and that's where, 
society. We don't want to let society become the judge of that. We've got to go back to God's word to see now how does God respond? And the very first way that we know how God responds is when we look at how he dealt with us. And so one of the things I heard you say yeah. when you talk about consequences, how much grace do I need? Yes. And that's why I'm sitting here going, whoo, I need a lot of grace. Right. John Gruden, uh, I, right. you know, I'm willing to forgive and we got to move on. Now, if John Gruden was accused of murder, I'd be like, mm, I don't really see a lot of grace here because that's not one of my sins. Mm -hmm. He was accused of rape or he was if he had beat his wife, if he had there's but but as it comes as it comes to private conversations with friends, whoo, I'm going to give a lot of grace because whoo, my emails, texts, conversations with friends. I say a lot of things I don't really believe and aren't really a reflection of my heart. Now, again, is my heart perfect? No. But, but, you know, a lot of times I say there's a huge difference. And this is where I think, and I, I wonder if this is, I've never been able to run this by a pastor. <laughs> and so I, this is a philosophy I have, and I'm wondering if it's remotely biblically sound. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I want to know if it's remotely biblically. But I tell people all the time, there's a huge difference between what a person thinks and what a person believes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And so we think a lot of stuff. All right. But do we believe it? Okay. Big difference. Our thoughts lead to our beliefs, okay. but they're not a true reflection of our beliefs. I've been trying to, t and so I, and that's what, because I came up with that year when Twitter first started. I was like, man, Twitter is just what people think. And I've told people, I was like, you want to know what I believe? Go read my columns. And I said, judge my columns, enjoy my tweets. This tweet thing is just a stream of consciousness. And I say a lot of silly things on here that may make it seem like, uh, you know, I'm the biggest idiot in the world. But if you actually judge what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis and how I approach my life, I'm not as stupid as, as I appear based on my Twitter stream. So. I just, what people think and what they believe, big difference. We treat thoughts like beliefs, and I think it's a mistake. Mm. Bobby, dive in. I want to come back to that. Okay. Dive in. I, I, <clears throat> a couple of things. First of all, uh, spiritual battles are battles of the mind. Uh, you see Jesus when uh, Peter, he has told Peter, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, what's going on? In Peter's minds, he's got ideas in his brain that aren't right, but they're in his brain. They're put there by Satan. Every one of us in our minds, we have a battle of the mind going on all day long. You have temptations. You have, you know, look at that woman or say that thing or, you know, uh, draw a little attention to yourself here or whatever. That's going on in your brain all the time. It's how do you mediate those things and make them obedient to who you want to be. And then that's what comes out, hopefully, in what you say and what you do. But a lot, everybody has temptations in their minds going on all the time that if we just indulge them, we're in big trouble. And so uh, it's far, God's far more concerned about how you act on things 
than what goes on in your mind. Martin Luther had this expression. He said, you can't stop the birds from building a nest in your hair. But you can, no, he says, you can't stop the birds from flying around your hair. But you can keep them from building a nest in your hair where they take up root. Yeah, so that's, that's where I, I, I won't argue with you on thoughts and beliefs. And as Bobby just pointed out, we have several thoughts. I read an article years ago that says we have about 10,000 thoughts a day. Uh, scripturally, <laughs> well, about 10,000, you know, you think about it. I know. I thought I had like 10 million. <laughs> <laughs> but when you when you read scripture, uh, Paul lets us know in Second Corinthians 10, capture every thought and bring them into subjection into the obedience of Christ. So my issue would be I, I don't have an issue with people, you know, differentiating between thoughts and beliefs. And I do see the line of my thoughts lead, leading to my beliefs. But if I'm expressing my thoughts, okay, now that that now is I no longer have this capture piece. Everything that I think I don't need to do, everything that I think I don't need to say, because some things that I say, going back to what David says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to God. So there's a lot of things that the filter of the Holy Spirit you know what? I don't even need to go. No, I don't even need to say because that thought and, and that's what I find as an issue with what social media does with us expressing our thoughts. When I was a kid, let's say, for instance, I got upset with my grandmother. Man, I, I hate my. Oh, why would she say, you know what I get to do? I get to run outside in the field and scream and holler. I come back in the house and I eat dinner. Social media now. I can tweet, I can Facebook post, I can Snapchat. Man, I hate mine. And then I have 500 followers say, yeah, I hate my hate man. Now I'm getting validation for a thought that I really don't. I, no, I'm not. No, I love my grand. Why would I? I don't want to do. And that's where we. OK, even those things. And that's why I say, you know, with social media, we are typing every letter. So we're thinking about it all. There's uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is this book of wisdom that Solomon had, he says, don't pay attention to everything your servant says, for you know that you have said things Certainly. in other contexts. And it's kind of like the, the John Gruden thing to me. It's like, man, uh, you know, if we're going to do this, let's be fair and do it across the board. And I think we've realized that uh, this is probably a standard that we all wouldn't want to be held to. Now, God will hold us to it because ultimately we're all accountable to God. But let's be fair in terms of how we play that out. Jason, I'd like to show a contrast, if, you're, if, if we can move to that, between the cancel culture and what Jesus says. But you may have something before I want, that. Uh, yeah, I want to ask, I want to do that, but I want to ask this question first. Are we being fair to John Gruden, are we being biblically sound by, because we're holding him to a standard of Christianity and belief that, who knows, does John Gruden subscribe mm -hmm. to that? Mm -hmm. That's, we that's being, a really fair question. Are we yeah. being fair, because we're, you know, are, are we being fair to John Gruden? Maybe he does believe in God, I, I don't mm -hmm. know. Well, it, it, it's at the debate in our culture right now, it's like, whose standards are we gonna follow? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as Christians, should we 
assume and apply our standards to John Gruden. It, it, now look, if it was Tony Dungy, I'd be like, oh, hold on. Tony wears his faith on his sleeve. Let's apply these standards to him. Again, I'm going to ask, are we being fair to Yeah, you know, the Bible makes it really clear, just so that uh, everybody watching knows, that there are standards that you would hold Christians accountable to that you're not going to hold non-believers accountable to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible makes that clear. And, you know, by common American standards, uh, uh, John Grudem, in many ways, uh, is your typical man. Now, when you apply... Uh, the mindset of woke culture, he's in trouble. When you apply the teachings of Jesus, he's going to be in trouble. The, the question is, whose standards do you want to follow at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I feel like it, as, as Bobby's just pointing out, there's a different standard for those of us that, that believe in Christ, that aspire to live a Christian lifestyle. I'm holding John Gruden to a standard of humanity like this this kind of language and this is for everybody I don't, I don't want to make anybody feel man I've thought that before I've said that before I'm if we know we're not living our best we need to ascribe for better and and that's all I'm if I'm going to challenge society to be better John Gruden's got to be a part of society bro you got to do better now I I don't anyway even when we talk even on this um, segment of Tennessee Harmony we may bring up an Urban Meyer or Will Smith or John Gruden you know and Bobby and I often say this I don't have any personal animus towards John Gruden I, I Love him, hope that he gets his life right with God. And, you know, all these people. I have I a them. bunch of male friends who yeah. are just like John. <laughs> you know, I want, I want them to be. My high school buddies, football playing buddies, totally relate to that. I want him to be better. That, that's, that's where I can. I want, I want him to be better. You know, I, I want him to be, I, I want him to, you know, look at his language. And I would say that with anybody in my sphere of influence. And so uh, before, I won't get to your point, but. As it relates to John Gruden mm-hmm. and Demora Smith, and he called him dumb boars, said his lips were the size of Michelin tires, and a and, uh, segment of the black population offended by this. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but I think there's a segment of the rest of the population, some black and some white, are like, whoo, you're offended by this, but the culture that is being called black participates in a musical expression, in a conversation expression, you're calling yourselves the N-word constantly. You're lying to yourself and say, oh, we've turned this into a term of endearment, blah, blah, blah. That group of people mm-hmm. are upset with John Gruden, but they, there's a culture that's been defined as theirs that is far more raw, profane, derogatory than his emails. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's the other thing. We look like, like hypocrites. I, I'm just saying that's how do I how do we reconcile that? Jesus comes across a woman who was caught in adultery. Um, the people that caught her bring her to the city square. They've got their stones ready to stone her. He tells those people to him that has no sin, cast the first stone. 
to an onlooker looking in, you think, okay, she's scot-free. They had to walk away because all of us have sinned. None of us can cast stones, etc. But he doesn't leave it at that. He tells her as well. Now you go sin no more. Jesus challenges both sides of that crowd to the men who are, you know, salacious and I'm ready to crucify. No, guys, you've got some error. But he tells that woman as well, hey, you've got a problem, too, that we've got to get together. And, and the same merciful, gracious Jesus. Now, he didn't kill those guys. He didn't kill her. He allowed them the mercy grace to walk away. He allows her the mercy grace to walk away. So that, that's where I say again to the society. And as you speak to the segment, I don't want to justify any of it. So if we're going to say this segment of the black culture uh, you know, is vulgar, wrong, etc. Cool, but I'm not going to let that justify this and I'm not going to let that justify both. I'm going to stand back and say, hey, you know what? We shouldn't be doing this and we don't need to send emails like that either. Okay, so as a Christian, sure. the, the other part of me, my belief, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to win the war with me. Cool. And I feel like, oh, if I win the war with, J if Jason Whitlock cleans up his language, mm -hmm. Like Tony Dungy mm -hmm. has personally asked me, Jason, clean up your language. Mm -hmm. You wearing your faith on your sleeve? Don't embarrass me. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying and making a great at MF is probably my favorite word. I grew up at my dad's bar in Indianapolis in the inner city. MF was a term of endearment. I, I've pretty much eliminated. I, I, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I eliminated the N word. Uh, but I've, I'm trying to clean up me. Mm -hmm. And I don't, the job of cleaning up me is so hard, I don't have a lot of energy to clean up John Gruden or interest, because I don't think whatever he says in the email, I just don't think impacts me. And so the clean up, the Jason Whitlock cleanup don't project. Don't you think we're getting at <clears throat> this important delineation? Uh, we all are sinners who struggle and stumble. And there's a difference between the man who's trying to live right and he stumbles and falls, and that's every one of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we need God's mercy every day. There's a difference between that and the guy in the Old Testament languages sins with a high hand. <laughs> I know what it says. I don't care what it says. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And to heck with you guys. There's a difference. Yeah, I used to be that guy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad I'm no longer. But Bobby, go to your cancel culture point. You yeah. Make. Yeah. Uh, let me just kind of share for your audience uh, what's really happening in our culture. So uh, there's a guy, uh, Richard John Niehaus used to say he'd get up every morning and he'd read his Bible and then he'd open the New York Times to see what the other side says. And I just want to point out that a lot of this stuff, even with Gruden, uh, we can point to the New York Times. And the New York Times is the quintessential progressive promotion of ideas in our culture. They're promoting the 1619 Project, and they really are the hub of what you call the alphabet mafia. And they're creating standards, as they did with John Gruden, they're creating standards that they want all of American society to be based on. And this is a very important uh, point 
because their assumptions and their worldview, their rules are very different than the Judeo-Christian foundation which America was established in. So let's just talk about people getting into moral trouble. Okay, so let's agree with Anthony that both sides that we've talked about here from the halftime show to uh, John Gruden's personal emails, they're showing sin. And uh, to all sin, we want to say that's not right in God's eyes. But let me give you a four contrasts between what I'm calling woke Marxism, because wokeness is really cultural Marxism. So woke Marxism and the teachings of Jesus. All right. So in the first one, woke Marxism seeks power over others. You just got to know this, that it's power over others, whereas Jesus teaches forgiveness for others. He literally says, be merciful as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Notice the difference in terms of attitudes. Here's the next contrast. Woke Marxism gives justice, but Jesus gives mercy. Jesus put it this way. Given it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Think about that. I want to be merciful to everybody because I'm going to be judged by the standards I used. And I think it's talking both, both in life, we tend to call people hypocrites who insist on one standard for other people and a different standard for themselves. But also, there's a spiritual component here. How about James 2? Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then here's another one for you. Woke Marxism. In woke Marxism, you confront the slightest sign of mistreatment with judgment. Think about John Gruden. You know, the slightest sign of mistreatment we're going to judge you. We're going to, we're going to cancel you. You violated the terms of life as we understand them. Whereas Jesus uh, said to confront the slightest sign of mistreatment with a forgiving attitude. In our culture today, we're not doing a great job of leading with forgiveness and mercy. Jesus puts it this way through Paul in Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I'll just say this. One area where I would disagree with Tony Dungy, and he may have been talking about in a public context, I think we start with a posture of forgiveness. We acknowledge that people do wrong, but we have an attitude of mercy and forgiveness because with God, that's where we want to live, that God would be forgiving and merciful to us. Even Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. So wouldn't Tony Dungy argue he did start from a posture of forgiveness, that his first words on Sunday Night Football were basically about forgiveness, and then as more information came out, he was like, mm, this is more serious than I thought. And then he ended on the note. Now, having said that, I'm commanded by the Bible to forgive and I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what I was getting at is that uh, 
in his second statement, Tony Junji came across like, if he repents, then we should forgive him. Now, I think sometimes people need to repent before there's reconciliation and restoration. That's for sure. But even for those who don't ask for forgiveness, I think that uh, the posture that Jesus showed, forgive them, for they know not what they do, is the right attitude. Because here, here's, the, here's the reality. I'm sitting here as a sinful man who needs God's mercy. So are you, Jason, and so are you, Anthony. That's the environment in which I live with God, is God's mercy. As I seek to pursue Him and live the right way, I'm dependent every day on His mercy and forgiveness. I should live that way with other people. And then lastly, woke Marxism. Uh, In woke Marxism, uh, you cancel people and it feeds resentment and hatred. Whereas Jesus says, forgive people or fear God. Listen to this from Matthew 6. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let me just sum it up this way. I think woke Marxism, our woke culture, is creating a world that nobody wants to live in. Because everybody who's going to live in that world is going to end up being canceled before long. Yeah, we're all going to need to be forgiven of something. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. I'm probably later today. (laughs) I'm going to need forgiveness. Uh, (laughs) Anthony, do you? I got two pieces. Go ahead. Just just two pieces. Um, Micah 6 and verse 8. um, There's a line in that that a lot of people love to quote. He says, do justice, love mercy and walk humbly. And that's a great line. That's that's I think the struggle in dealing with those who have sinned, small, large or whatnot is, you know, yes, there's a a side that, you know, just as God executes judgment on all of us, he executes mercy on all of us. You know, it's it's how do we you know, we we are challenged to wrestle with that. Um, And then secondly, you know, as I shared with you the other day, forgiveness should come from the position that we see our need of grace and mercy for ourselves. So when I for me, you know, even though even in this segment, I may seem very hard on John, I'm hard on him from what, you know, I believe that Christ calls us to be. But I look to him and I'm saying, man, I, I, I hate that the way society is, that it's, there's no, like you said, no forgiveness, no whatnot. But on the same time, man, I got to, you know, John, you got to get this together. So when I look at myself, if I were in John's shoes and my mess up has been made public, okay, how do I want to be handled? That's how we handle him. Um, Now, for me, have I been Punished for things that I've done. Yeah, I have. But I'm I'm thankful that God has extended his grace towards me. The last piece of that that I would say is that forgiveness isn't a tool to justify sin or enable poor behavior. But it is also on the other side. Withholding forgiveness is not a tool to manipulate. And I think that's what Bobby was referring to when he says, you know, if you repent, then I'll decide about forgiving you. No, you know, we we need to have the approach of grace and the charge of repentance, just as Jesus did with that adulterous woman. You know, yeah, he sent away the condemnation. You're not going to be stoned, but you need to repent. That's That's good. 
I think this may have been our best conversation. And I say that just because it, 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 all of our conversations have been great, but this one had such a great sports angle. I think it made it easier for the audience perhaps to access it and, and relate to it. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, you guys continue to just get better and better. One day you'll be the host of the show. Fearless with Anthony and Bobby is what they're going to call this. And I'll be sitting over in that chair. I'll be your Uncle Jimmy's. Uh, but uh, thank you guys. You can call it fearless or fearful. And we answer right for God. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's roll some tomorrow and uh, we'll get out of here and we'll see you tomorrow.